Welcome to the second episode of Tolkien Talk. We are still working our way, uh, not very swiftly, through the Silmarillion. Silmarillion. Uh, that's still a problem. But anyway, uh, joining me is Katie Sabo and John Cox again to talk about the... It's not the coming of the elves yet. The elves are on their way. Elves and men are currently asleep. And dwarves are brought into the world. So that's kind of where we're starting. So it's chapter two, no, chapters one and two of the Silmarillion. Testing, testing, testing. One, two, three. Testing, testing, testing. A, B, C. Easy as one, two, three. Sandals, do, re, me. A, B, C. One, two, three, baby, you and me, girl. Come on, come on, come on. Let me show you what it's all about. <laughs> Me not saying the name of the book right. <laughs> the Silver Millennium. The Sigmaridian. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so for today we read chapters one and two of the Silmarillion. Of, of Quintus Silmarillion. Of Quintus Silmarillion. Quint- like we're actually is, in the we're in the thick of it now. Yeah, we're we're in we're in the Silmarillion proper, as it were. We, we are in the thick of it. There are a lot of angry Scottish men and cursing and and beautiful diatribes. This one had That's like. That's actually not correct. <laughs> <laughs> I noticed that this one like started off or with war. Well, right. I mean, let's re- remember. Think about it. We we've had kind of like malcontent and 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 bad things and corruption since before the beginning because of Melkor. So yeah, we start off and you know. Arda is not even fully developed yet. It's still kind of evolving. We've been through like the creation of Arda and some of the changing and evolution of it, but we're still not quite to the complete completeness that it should be for the children uh, the children of Iluvatar to come. And we've got freaking war, thank you, Melkor. <laughs> Sorry, I can't, just was thinking of like, see, my picture of this world was like, now the, the elves and men at this point, they're not necessarily have been made yet. There was this thing about them they, being Yeah, they, they haven't, yeah, they haven't like woken They haven't awoken yet. They haven't yet. awoken or, you know, it's like it's, it's, it's like the end of Interstellar. <laughs> see, I was thinking. I, see, my brain went to like Noah, like the movie Noah that came out earlier, and how the way the world looked then. But no one saw Noah. Who's probably listening to this? So I saw it. So <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. I, I have not. Yeah. All right. Where it's like all prehistoric looking and everything, but so no, like men and elves are like lying in some. Okay, for some reason, when they say they've yet been awoken yet, I know what it means. But for some reason, my brain just went to them all in, like, bunk beds and some, like, barracks somewhere. I don't <laughs> Maybe know Maybe hammocks, too, you know? Or, like, cocoons. Well, I think it's, it's, it's kind of more like pregnancy. Like, you know the baby's coming, so you got to get ready for it. A bunch of just... Like, yeah. Hold on, hold on. What is the plural of fetus? Fetuses. Okay. Fetuses. It is fetuses. Okay. Fetuses. Fetusil. Sorry, it's just one of those words. It sounds like it's like it should be fetus eye. I don't know why, but sorry. It's like it's like what's the plural of moose? Well, okay. So in like in in the British spelling, they spell it F, and then it's like o-e. a lig- ligature of O E T U S, and like foetus. I'm like that sounds like a bad like like cletus, you know. Cletus the uh, we are really off track. Yeah. Really okay. Track. So there was war. <laughs> Melkor finally like fought the Valar, 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 Val, Val. Valar. Mm-hmm. No, Val, like Valerie. Yes. R like R. Yes. And he got, he got, <laughs> he got beaten by laughter and like music well, or yeah. something. Yeah. So you know, Melkor is doing his Melkor thing, and you know, 
being generally just bad and not welcome and, you know, causing destruction and wreaking war against the Valar. And so Tolkas comes down uh, to help. And, yeah, the, you, you hear the laughter of Tolkas. And... See, what I'm imagining in my brain when I was reading this was is Tolkas is played by Billy Connolly. <laughs> and, and that's who... And that's, it's his laughter or... or um, uh, I'm trying to think of. Have you ever heard of Ron Funches? Imagine yes. like imagine like Ron Funches' <laughs> oh laughter. <laughs> okay, insert audio clip of Billy Connolly's laughter or Ron Funches' laughter because that's beautiful. Okay, so one thing that I find interesting is that like Tolkien goes out of his way to make Iluvatar not be like omniscient, right? Because like he he created these these the Ainur with free will and he's like oh shit oops shouldn't have done that and then like I, I'll, I'll touch upon this when we get to chapter 2 but like I, there, there are more parts where I think the, the divinities in this universe don't really know what's going to happen and that's something I, that's, I like that right and that's true because Iluvatar is the only one who does know what's going to happen there's still like things that will come to pass that are not revealed to the Ainur because they aren't given the extent of all of his knowledge. Also, they don't exactly have a concept of present and past and future, really, because they're, they're just they're the they're, wormhole aliens. They're without DS9. death. Yeah. Okay, I don't even get they that. Yeah. <laughs> see, they don't. They're they're deathless, so they don't have like a concept of time either. So Melkor got beaten. Yep. And by a guy who I'm imagining is laughing like Ron Funches <laughs> while like wielding a giant axe and. Kicking all sorts of butt, and, and <laughs> so basically a stoner Paul Bunyan. Yes. Oh man, what is that? Mo- is that a movie? Can we make that a movie? Sorry. <laughs> I'm sure we could. <laughs> Call it Blue Ox. Blue Ox can be the name of uh, like a, a strain of weed. And, and I get to the thing that was really confusing to me. Um, uh, now uh, they made like what they called it two lamps. Yes. And that the world was not no longer covered. It was like it was just perpetual daylight, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. is it like was that like is it like referencing the fact they've created it's like the sun and the moon, or is it just two suns? The, and this is like early primordial, like Middle Earth, and I, so I it think, doesn't. I think they're established as being identical. Yeah, at this time, the yeah the two lamps are kind of like they it creates everything is lit constantly. So like. It's eternal day time. Kind so it's of like right a now. giant, like Middle Earth right now is a giant green room. <laughs> green room, not green room. Greenhouse. Greenhouse, green yes, greenhouse. Why did I say green room? Uh, greenhouse that is just being overly fertile and hit with light constantly. So like all the plants are like taking in the light, producing mm-hmm. plants. Animals are, are so there are animals at this point, right? But you think about it, well, um... There are specifically there are no flowers or birds yet, which is kind of so nothing like really pretty. Specific. So no pretty animals and no pretty plants. <laughs> it's all it's all weeds and aardvarks. Or okay. something. But as far as the light goes, think about it because you have like you have poles of yes. the, well, the lamps. Qu- question because I honestly do not remember is Middle Earth flat or is it on a globe? Well, well that's, not Middle Earth is this world because Middle Earth is just a continent. The world, yeah, the world right now as it's described, it's it's like. It's there's described as borders to the world. Yes. Remember later when we get to talking about Valinor, mm-hmm. there's borders to the world, and you can physically sail to that border. But but he says that it's it's just a great ocean beyond that. And I feel like that yeah. does fit with what we 
thought of the globe before you know the 15th century um the reason i bring this up is because how can you have a pole well that's see that's where it, yeah it's it's a little sketchy here and honestly i can't be entirely sure but yeah because what, what it's talked about is the like the northmost part and the southmost part yeah so if you the if top you, and the bottom because yeah. if you take a globe and you put like a light on the on the top and on the bottom the part that's going to be the least illuminated and the darkest is going to be the equator. Mm-hmm. So, like, that's an interesting thought, but I, I think I'm over... Like, now this. that's, like, instead of it being, like, the inverse, the, the equator is a cold part. Well, because these lamps are literally, like, two paragraphs. We Yeah, and we might be overthinking yes. this and how way I, more than it needs to be. I, I, I just think it's interesting, though, what you said, though, is because the... What, what's described is that, like, the richest part of the world is where those two lights meet. And that's where, like, True. the richest and prettiest things are kind of blooming. And so speaking of two lights meeting, uh, this is a theme that kind of repeats over and over again. Um, we'll touch upon it in a later chapter as well. But what happens is that Melkor, being the bad guy that he is... Or sorry, Morgoth, if we're not supposed to call him Melkor anymore. We, uh, you, you still see Melkor written in the text, but yeah, yes. technically he's Morgoth. <laughs> so anyway, he just he breaks the lamp posts and darkness exists. Yeah. And so then Yavanna, the uh, the Ainur of, of... Everything of, that grows. Yeah, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, Plants she, and puppies. She <laughs> calls all the Ainur together and she's like, hey guys, I got a song for you. And she sings beautiful music and then two saplings appear and these giant trees grow. And they emit light. And the silver one, which is analogous to the moon, is Telperion. And the gold one, analogous to the sun, is uh, Laurelin. Mm-hmm. And so they they wax and wane on seven-hour schedules. Uh, Six hour. No, it's seven hour. Each, each, there's, there's 12 hours in a day. Yes, but each so uh, tree is on for seven hours. Because in the last oh, hour, yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. In the last hour, it fades. And in the first hour, it, it, it fades up. And so the fading overlaps each other. So there are these two periods a day when the gold light and the silver light are intermixed. And I think, you know, that's kind of like this mixing of the light in a similar way to what we were just referring to. Okay. Um, But backing up just a little bit to the lamps, because um, we have, uh, we were talking about where the light of those two lamps meet. Um, That is called the Isle of Almoran of the Great Lake. And that was the first dwelling of the Valar um, in the kingdom of arda what's funny is in, in my notes i didn't write many of these names <laughs> i just kind of i just kind of wrote general ideas this is what we have katie for there, <laughs> yeah. there are very very many names yeah and you'll forget them but <laughs> we can just yeah so after after uh the lamps are destroyed they then relocate to valinor well to the west which is then called valinor because they're valar right now because Sorry, uh, this is just me like conflating, like because I know this gets this is the one that gets destroyed later on by Melkor, right? Yeah, well, because because his forces are kind of like bubbling out and they can't exactly attack him on like he's basically attacking them on like multiple fronts or something like that. Well, at the same time, what's happening is Melkor is starting to draw closer and closer. He had been kind of expelled back mm-hmm. into you know sort of darkness, but um, you know the the Valar are kind of all like appreciating the light of these lamps, and Melkor is drawing closer um and he's building his own fortress in like the deepest and darkest and yuckiest places of the earth utmana utmano utmano is it utmano utmano 
Otomno? Otomno. Otomno. Like Mr. Tumnus? Like Mr. Tumnus, only not. Who's that? That's something from Narnia. The farm from like the second chapter. Okay, that was a series I never liked. I could never get into. Yeah. Remember, they used to get drunk together. Tolkien and Lewis were friends, yeah, and both were very critical of each other's worlds. The first beer I ever had was in the pub where they had their lunches together. Was that uh, the Eagle and Baby? Was that Eagle that and Child? Yeah, I the Eagle and Child. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, okay. so, 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 yeah. So Melkor is building his fortress, and uh, you know, unbeknownst to the Valar, and you know, Melkor is kind of still ruling over all of this like yuck and muck and grime and gross. Well, <laughs> and explicitly, it's like invisible to the others. Right. So it's it's underground. It is not in. The presence of the light of the two lamps, and yeah, because of the light of the two lamps, like they, that it doesn't, they, they can't see the shadow that he casts. Yeah. See, so that's super like, interesting, and I think that's setting up a lot of ideas that I feel like th- that's something that I feel like is referenced in the stuff I do know about Lord of the Rings, which mm-hmm. is based primarily from the movie. Because I feel like they reference some of that stuff that something about darkness, like all the baddies, is like weird. Yeah, yeah it's like, all it's of like the hidden. baddies are in the kind of like dark. Uh, you know, places that are hidden and, um, you know, gross and yucky and dark. And the people who only notice it are like, I'm some dude and I notice this is evil and all the, like, top people are going, eh, whatever. Well, and, and those who are also, like, close enough and can can be corrupted by that darkness, right? Because as we've seen, Melkor or Morgoth has drawn, you know, some of the Valar, and so, or attempted to draw some of the Valar, but they're the Maiar. And like the servants of the Valar, he's corrupted some of them, and yeah. you know, gotten some minions of his own. And this, like, yeah, de- <laughs> <laughs> banana. Okay. <laughs> so this, like, darkness is is kind of spreading in a way, and it's hurting things that are already existing on yeah, the earth. It's yeah. causing like tumult, tumultuous, like waves in the seas and it's causing parts of the land to break you know again Melkor Morgoth is destroying um, parts of the kingdom of, of Arda because he is a baddie he's he's, he's a crybaby I don't know because <laughs> uh, he I mean his primary thing is just chaos of sorts right because right. it was just in discord to everyone else right and he once again, he he um, he strikes the first blow in this war against the Valar, and he breaks the lamps, which is not cool. And he sets a lot of the world aflame, this destructive flame, and some parts of Arda that had been created will never be the same again and will never be created again the way that they were. Now, is this the point... See, the most interesting thing from this chapter to me was the part where they talked explicitly about elves and men because mm-hmm. that was probably the most interesting thing i've read so far in this whole in this whole um book so far and that was just kind of like explaining the elves and men and their differences mm-hmm. and why they're special that was deeply fascinating i don't know if i'm skipping ahead but i i just that was the part i dug the most from this chapter no so he does like kind of start to go and well okay so after they, after the lamps are destroyed, they move to the west, Valinor. Right. Erect a giant wall, and they build mansions. Yeah. Right. Which seems weird to me. I know it's not like, you know, like a McMansion. Or, <laughs> you know, it's not that. I'm sure it's just a word that we're familiar with. They, they build great dwellings. But that's, a, that's an odd thought to me, because he, he, 
went in great detail earlier to say that they don't really need corporeal form. So why would they then create corporeal lodging? To me, I, f- I feel like it's more that the things that are created in Valinor, and there are still more like new creations made in Valinor, but also some things like the, f- the fairest and the most beautiful of all things are in Valinor. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, maybe like, you know, that image of a mansion being the most like ma- ma- beautiful yeah. of I mean all it, of the it, it, it might be something along the lines of uh, like this is a probably a breakdown of a religious text of sorts where it's like we, we like the, almost like almost like Tolkien's writing this from the perspective of like multiple writers have gone over this stuff before <laughs> and they're trying to put their conceptions of this stuff. I don't know I'm, I'm speculating right there well I mean it could be like this kind of like paralinguistic effects and that you know, when we read like Greek tragedies, we use English words that approximate yeah, our knowledge. Yeah. Or, I mean, there are two schools of thought. You update it. Like, I remember the the version of the Bacchae I read was mm-hmm. like, we're going to cut them up like a pizza. Mm-hmm. You know, we either update <laughs> it yeah. or we use incredibly ant- antiquated, you know, terms that you'd have to look up. In reality, these mansions are something where someone looks at them and they just like die instantly and they come back and like, oh, okay, now I can see it properly. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so, anyway, there, while Valinor is the home of the Valar, there are Valar who do not live in Valinor. Right. Um, specifically, Ulmo does not live in Valinor with, with most of the rest of the Valar. Um, he stays in, in the outer ocean. And uh, remember that the water is where, like, the, the, the reflection of the Song of Iluvatar kind of dwells, yes, too. Yes, yeah, so, yeah. You know. And it's the one thing that Morgoth cannot control. Right. Um, so at, at this time, uh, when, after, so Valinor has been built, and we had just, you, the two trees. you had brought, brought up the two trees, we're, we're drawing closer to the time when the firstborn will come uh, to Middle-earth, and that's the elves. And they're not awoken, but they're just kind of like, you know... <laughs> Your image of like just li- like being around as fetuses is just, just weird. <laughs> okay, in little cocoons, waiting to. <laughs> I feel like it's more of like they 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 have some like I don't know. We're not gonna get into that. I mean, just like what's super cool about them though. So then, like, there's this hierarchy created between the elves and the men, and it's like to the elves they will be like the fairest and most beautiful, and will have the the most artistic talents and be more creative, even you know, be able to produce things more beautiful even than mm-hmm. the Valar. They're, they're very similar to the Ainur, except for, you know, not quite as big and not quite as powerful. <laughs> yes. And then, as a counterpoint to that, there are men who are, like, not beautiful and not, like, super into hyper-intelligent, blah, blah, blah. And men die, whereas elves do not die, except... Except few, a few things, yeah. Except, yeah, if they're slain <laughs> yes. or... Or a, a, an elf can choose to die. If, well, if they become overcome with grief. Yes. So they die of a heartbreak. Well, Basically. and so in the Lord of the Rings movies, they kind of jerk off about this. I shouldn't say that. <laughs> Cut. Um, in the Lord of the Rings movies, they kind of go into this with Arwen and, you know, she, her heart, you know, blah, blah, blah. She drops books and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So, yes. Elves are immortal with some caveats. Uh, men are just men. Although men of this time are not like men of our time. They're kind of like men in the precursors Exodus. Men. Yeah. And yeah. they live for like 100, 200 years. Well, and also something to that is, the part I found interesting is that the elves, 
like the big split between like elves and men is very similar to like you would say in the Bible about the split between angels and even like the Valar, the split between angels and men, which mm-hmm. is in this, like it feels like the elves, and it's certainly a lot of things about elves makes much more sense after reading this, which was that. Uh, men long for something greater than themselves. Yes. Elves don't exactly do that. So suddenly, like, elves being slightly bored with everything kind of makes sense to me. Well, elves, you know, elves love everything. They, they love the earth and everything that grows in the earth. And they live, you know, an interminable amount of time. As that time goes on and the world can become more corrupted and more affected, they become sadder and sadder and sadder and more sorrowful over time until eventually they'll yeah. leave the earth until the end of days. So I like I just like the element of them like staying around till the end of time. Right. I love that terminology in this sort of stuff because it it just shows how kind of it has to be kind of a miserable existence <laughs> at well, the same yeah. time. Yeah. Well so the counterpoint to that then is man's mortality, which mm-hmm. is 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 conceived of as Iru's greatest gift. Right. Is mortality because it forces you to search for meaning. Yeah. And so it's also kind of called, it's it's the gift of freedom. Yeah. Which, you know, we can equate to our idea of man's free will, right? Um, that, you know, men have a choice to do what they will with their lives. But that he, he, he does say, though, that they will have a virtue that will shape their life. And they will often stray from this idea. Uh, men will become corrupt, but... Well, and also, there was also an element in there that Iluvatar knows this, mm-hmm. and he th- views it as part of his plan anyway, even if they, if, like, if men do something bad, if they're doing evil things, it's still part of their plan in the, his plan in the end. Like, it still, like, factors in in some way, so it's not all that, it's not all that bad, it's like, like a statement of, like, no one could be, no human could be as evil as, say, like, Melkor. Right. It's like what it's getting at. There's like no true, like horrifying evil among them in a way. So an interesting analog to this that I recently noted is uh, I'm, I'm replaying Mass Effect, the trilogy, and I'm in Mass Effect 1, and I'm, I'm romancing Liara because I have a brain. And, <laughs> uh, seriously, if you romance anyone else, I mean, Caden is not interesting until 3. Anyway, uh, she, she says they're talking about the difference between the Asari and mankind because Asari lived for like a, a thousand or two thousand years. And she says that she's jealous of man because they, they, they're kind of this limited life forces them to be proactive and forces them to look for things that, you know, if you live for a thousand or 2000 years, you can always just keep putting off till the next day, putting off till the next day. And I don't know if that's like, you know, if, if the writers of Bioware like liked this concept, if they're all big Tolkien nerds, or, I mean, it's not like an exclusively Tolkien concept, but the way it was presented, which is very similar to the way it's like outlined because yeah. uh, it's this this um this dichotomy between a kind of a mortal race and then us. Yeah. That's an interesting uh connection to make. And it, it would also make sense why there's probably a lot of tension between elves and men in the mm-hmm. future, I would say. And what's interesting too is that, you know, again we'd said so, you know, men are mortal and they die, but this is Iluvatar's gift to them. And even, you know, this is a point of envy even of the elves because again like the elves have lived through all of these ages and you know can perhaps envy the thought that men are not bound to this world they they're like 
they're called the guests or the strangers because they will die and depart the world. Yes. It, it, for some reason, I'm reminded of that scene in like the Fellowship of the Ring where uh, uh, Hugo Weaving, uh, <laughs> I can't remember his name in that. Uh, uh, Agent oh, Smith uh, is, is <laughs> Agent Smith. <laughs> sorry, it's talking about how he was there three thousand years ago when mm-hmm. the, the they first had the ring in their possession and they mm-hmm. could have destroyed it. And I remember when I was like younger, when I was watching, I was like, "Oh, holy crap! That's that's weird." <laughs> yeah, that Elrond that, that, has that. been through so much with that ring. <laughs> He's seen so much evil. He says, "Just destroy it already." <laughs> so, um. More things of interest. I'm sorry, I'm just trying to find the chapter because I told myself. Okay, wait. Uh, basically, what I'm trying to say is that all all elves are not created equal. There are hierarchies. Right, there's hierarchies within the elves. Uh, and where is that passage? I should have marked this up. Um, no, I remember what you're talking about. Here we go. I okay, I did. So blah 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 blah. Um. Oh, right, right. Okay, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. Uh, the Noldor. Noldor, yeah. Are, um, so, uh, Aule, which we'll talk a little bit more about Aule in the, in the second chapter, is the valor of lore and knowledge um, and kind of like craftsmanship. Mm-hmm. And he's a big friend to the Noldor, who are known as the most skilled of all the elves. Yeah, so the passage is Nold, uh, Aule, it is, who is named the friend of the Noldor, for of him they learned much in after days. And they are the most skilled of the elves, and in their own fashion, according to the gifts which Iluvatar gave to them, they added much to his teaching, delighting in tongues and in scripts, and in the figures of broidery, of drawing, and carving. The Noldor also it was who first achieved the making of gems, and the fairest of all the gems were the Silmarils. Hey! Which they lost. Yeah, they are lost. So, this is going to become important. When when a plot starts to materialize and the Silmarillion, it is about the Silmarils. Yeah. Because right. it is the Silmarillion. Mm-hmm. Thank you for clarifying that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, so, yeah. I, so, okay. So, originally, the elves are in the west with the, the, the Valar. And they're in Valinor. And the Noldor live in Valinor. And then there is a second uh, kind of slightly lower tier of elves. I don't know if they discussed this yet, but I'm talking about it anyway. There's a slightly lower tier of elves that live on the coast. Mm-hmm. And they excel in like ship making and you know the kind of things oh, you okay. expect from a coastal community. Coast elves. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Um, also of note, so these these elves are the Quenya. Uh, the elves of Middle Earth are Sindarin uh, or Sindarin. Mm-hmm. Um, that sounds familiar more than like just reading it in this book. Like he- hearing it said out loud sounds much more familiar. I don't know it, why. It, well, it's because there are two dialogue. Or, I mean, two um, dialects of Elvish. There's Quenya and then there's Sindarin. Sindarin. I'll, take your, are... I'll take your word for that one. Yeah. <laughs> I can believe it in this. At some schools, you can actually study those languages. <sighs> yeah, uh, the back of I don't know if it's all copies or just the copy I have. There is a. There's a Middle oh Earth. Uh, there's a glossary there's, there's, back there's there. a language of yeah. Middle Earth uh, phrase book also that I have somewhere. Um, you can you know learn different phrases, different various phrases in both Quenya and Sindarin. Wow. Okay. Uh, 
<laughs> Should we move on to chapter two now? Yeah. yeah. So I, we've I mean, chapter two, chapter in two chapter is one. slightly shorter. Yes. Uh, there's not as much. I mean, the most important thing in this one but, is like the birth of the dwarves. Yeah. There. Yeah. There's. Um, That's basically all that it's about. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, chapter two, we have a little bit more about Aule and Yavanna. Um, and so we, we begin kind of Aule makes the dwarves because, again, we had talked about he, him being kind of the Valar of craftsmanship and uh, he really wanted to teach these crafts, but the children of Iluvatar were not here yet and he just couldn't wait for them. Oh, God, it needs someone to listen to me. <laughs> so under the mountain where the rest of the Valar couldn't see him because he was afraid of, you know, making his own creation. he created, And we've already seen that that works. Right. <laughs> he he made the dwarves and he made the seven fathers of the dwarves. Um, and so, yeah, he was really nervous because, again, he's he's doing some kind of creation that was his own doing. And where have we seen this before? So that's yeah, that's uh, I would that would make me nervous. Would it make you nervous <laughs> if you were to try and make some creation of your own that was not originally of Iluvatar's own, you know, devising? Yes, I'm gonna yes. go with yes. <laughs> yes. So just briefly, what I mentioned earlier, I found that the appendix it's elements and Quenya and Cinderin names. And it literally just breaks down the different like constituent parts of the names and explains what they mean. Oh, okay. So um like Aina means holy. Ainur means the holy. The holy one. Oh, okay. What is crab cakes in there? Uh, <laughs> I don't, don't believe that's going to be in. I mean, because I want a restaurant that's all in Elvish. <laughs> we could probably uh, approximate it by like seeing something. I'm sure there's an Elvish name for something like a crab, mm-hmm. and we could probably use bread or yeah. like a sweet. I don't know. Also, don't say lambus bread. Because then you're saying bread, bread. <laughs> bread, bread. Yeah. That's just my little Tolkien tip of the day. Okay. <laughs> you know, now that I remember, no one in the movie ever said, like, no, none of the elves said Lambus bread. It was all the hobbits who were going, like, Lambus bread. <laughs> bread, bread. Mm. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Uh, so, you know, Aule has made, made this creation, the seven fathers of the dwarves, and uh, Iluvatar notices. Hey, what are you doing? But Iluvatar was actually pleased, though. Yeah. Uh, you know, Aule was kind of frightened because, again, he had done something that was not originally part of Iluvatar's plan. Um, so, I'm sorry, I'm just going to backtrack one more bit. You found crab cakes? Uh, no, AR means C, but in Quenya, and then the Cinderin equivalent is Gear. So it's just like, that's the detail he went into with crafting these languages. Oh, yeah, they're incredibly wow. complex. So, yes, Iluvatar finds out, and he's... You know when you upset your parent, or you do something that you know you shouldn't, right. and your parents are proud of you because you're resourceful, but they're oh, still yeah, mad yeah. because you did something that you shouldn't have? That's kind that's, of... Yeah, yeah, that's what happened here. <laughs> I plugged the toilet up with an action figure, but I got it out by tearing the toilet apart. <laughs> but <laughs> Yeah, I mean, when I was a kid, I just decided we built a porch and there was like a doorknob sitting there. I was like, I'm just going to install this doorknob. I was like six. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'm going to install this doorknob. And I, God damn it, I installed it. But you know what I did? I put the lock on the outside and the keyhole on the inside. <laughs> well, that was very sweet of you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah. So it was, uh, yeah, this kind of uh, dynamic between Iluvatar and Aule right now. Um, but, but they, but they couldn't, but the, Really, it wasn't really a punishment, but he's no. like they can't they can't come before the elves yeah. and the right. men, so they have to stay yeah. sleeping. It's like, well, when are they gonna wake up? Oh, no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so, where are they sleeping? 
uh, under, under the, the mountain. mountain. Okay. <laughs> and and what do we know about dwarves? They like mountains. They like they like what what do they what but what do they like <laughs> more than things that grow and more than the earth itself? They like they like gems and they like gold. Yes, and things stuff. things that they have crafted themselves. Apparently, a specific gem that makes them go crazy or whatever, <laughs> based upon that mo- horrible movie. <laughs> well, see, the Sorry. thing is, is that. The, the dwarves are kind of like the children of Aule, and Aule is kind of, you know, the, yeah. the valor of craftsmanship and, you know, making things. And so the dwarves love to make things, and they value things that they make above anything else. But, okay. Uh, so since you brought up the, the Arkenstone from The Hobbit, uh, as you read more about the Silmarils, I just want you to keep in mind the similarities in the way that they're depicted. Okay. Um, but yes, like... Uh, so then Aule like, like goes to Yavanna and he's like, I have to tell you something. Don't tell anyone else, but <laughs> <laughs> I did a thing. <laughs> yeah. You know, you know, it's like you it's when you feel bad about something, but you have to get it off your chest. Like that's what he does. I mean it's civilization. And, well, and so yes. So Yavanna <laughs> being lord of all things that grow is is kind of horrified by this idea because she's like, They're not gonna love the things that I make. And then there's this really weird exchange. It's the last line of the chapter. And she talks about like forest that she's raising, and that the eagles. Oh, yeah, it was like, weird. They need yeah. something. My my beautiful creations need something. And then <laughs> and then Aule says, or she, Yavanna says that they would chop down her trees, and Aule says, yeah, but they would still need wood. And what strikes me as so weird about that is we have. I feel like we've been shown that they don't have the gift of foresight, but here there's like this incredible foresight with regards to, you know, the, the interaction of, of yeah, yeah, it, yeah. industry and nature, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is a big, huge theme that you'll see throughout Tolkien, the, you know, interaction and, you know, push and pull between industry and nature. And I just find it interesting. Like, how would they have predicted that. I might, I might be reading too much into this again, but it, it just strikes me as, 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 as interesting. Maybe it's got something to do with the fact of how I've been kind of viewing this is where we've gone from something that is like like a big cloud mm-hmm. or just in, unimaginable to it's slowly getting more solid and more solid that even like they're getting more solid and it's starting to get these like even they don't even know it. They're like, we're going to need this and this. It's like, how do you know that? I don't know. <laughs> it just is. Well, each of them is, uh, you know, loves a certain part of Arda the most, right? Mm-hmm. And they want to do everything that they can to give that part as much as possible. Yeah. So um so what what the what the trees, the things that grow will get is the shepherds of the trees. Something else I knew is the the ants. Yes. Who are super interesting. Right. And that's because you They're have these ent- these spirits yes. <laughs> interesting. Ah, ha ha ha. But yeah, so, so these spirits the will come fish. down uh, okay. into the into the the growing things, and the trees will have the shepherds of the trees yeah. to to guard them. And what I like about this is he doesn't say that these are the ants. You kind of have to figure it out. Yeah, you kind of have to figure it yeah. out yourself. But yeah. Well, and I also they reference the eagles, and I guess are they the eagles I'm thinking of? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, there's more spirits that come down into you know the bodies of hawks and or take the form of hawks and eagles, and that's so that because Manwe's throne, right, is on the highest mountain of the, um, oh god, what was that called? Uh, starts with a P. I can't even remember it. Plymouth. I don't remember either. <laughs> uh, the, the Pelori, the walls of the Pelori, yeah. that's, you know, the, the, these huge mountains that kind of uh, shield Valinor from the rest of the world. Um, and so Manwe's throne is on the tallest of those mountains, and he can see pretty much almost everything. 
Um, yes. But then, you know, we have these sp spirits put into trees and other beasts that uh, can see a little farther. And so, so where Monwe has like this line of sight, Yavanna has this like network of creatures, basically. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. So a little foreshadow. If you remember in The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, uh, right after they exit Moria, right, or maybe before they enter, I don't remember, there's the scene where there are birds flying around and Gandalf's like, get down, you know, they'll, they'll report to Sauron. Yeah, 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 they're spies or whatever. Well, so it's it's this kind of perversion that, that darkness is doing of, of these creation. Okay. So, like, it's like messing with these species or these animals that are... There's always somebody that's corrupt. I get that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's going yeah. to mess with these kind of, like, beautiful creations and these things that are meant to do good and can be turned. And well, like, a lot of... A lot of someone's will. <laughs> a lot of the tone of Lord of the Rings was because this stuff is happening, a lot of the magic is leaving the world. Like, the elves are going away, the forests mm -hmm. were going away. The, right. We're really skipping ahead. The most ahead, beautiful but... parts of the world will... Yeah, and this, again, we're, we're still, you know, way, way back. I can see where this is in the pages before this. This is in the foundation You can see, yeah, these are the, this is the foundation of those things that, you know, as they are right now and as they're intended, they're beautiful and glorious and meant for such good. So I think we've <laughs> we've covered the the goings on of the two chapters. Mm -hmm. If we have any more thoughts, I imagine in the next few chapters, these the men and the elves are going to start waking up. I guess I don't know. <laughs> I don't know yet. I've not read the. I've not read <laughs> chapter three yet. So there's there's never like a central character in the Silmarillion, but there are a few that become protagonists, mm -hmm. and that starts to happen. Right. Okay. Now when. When men and elves wake up, that's when time starts. Of sorts, is that when we'll actually be like our first? Well, actually, um, the start of era or whatever. The start age. Of, of the counting of time technically be began with the trees. Yes. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, okay. Because the the trees were the first things to have any time because they waxed and waned in these seven hours. Right. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. A day was twelve hours. That was. Right? Yeah. Okay. That I, 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 that was me being dumb because I was super obvious and I missed that. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so, uh, when, but we, we have this set up though, the children have not awoken yet. And when they awake, then Yavanna will awake. And so will all these spirits that, um, kind of are, are there to help watch over the kingdom of Arda. But I want to know, um, before we end, what was everyone's kind of favorite part so far of, of these two chapters? Because mine is all of these descriptions of like free will. So we have, you know, the, the description of men having free will and mm -hmm. having this gift of freedom and of, of death, actually. Um, and then later on, when, you know, when Aule creates the dwarves, at first they kind of are chained to Aule's doing, right? Because Iluvatar says, they will be children to you like the elves and the men are children to me. Yeah. Um, and they're dependent on you. But, you know, Aule kind of is really scared right and he lifts up his hammer and he's about to destroy them because he thinks oh I, this oh, was no. not this wasn't your idea should I destroy them and Iluvatar says no no that's okay I, I will just well, love I them, I'll love them second to my children so the dwarves cowered yes, when, when Aule raised that the was hammer. weird and that was them showing that they had their own will and their own voice that was weird. Okay, and yeah. then you know we, we kind of skipped over a little bit of you know the I do what, remember that part. What, yeah, what, yeah. What elves think of dwarves and what dwarves think of themselves, but um, I don't know. I just I, I really liked that whole kind of free will. Yeah, the hammer description. part description. Yeah, 
I liked it when Tolkis was laughing and killing stuff. That was pretty, <laughs> that was pretty yeah, great. Melkor cowers again, uh, under the laughter of Tolkis. <laughs> I imagine being more just bewildered, like, what is happening? <laughs> <laughs> Any random thoughts? Nope. <laughs> well, all right. <laughs> I mean, to, to draw some parallels, I guess, uh, the, the dwarves cowering under the hammer and, like, the god figure basically being like destroy your son like how many times do we see that in the bible right? yeah 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 and I i'm mean, not trying to christianize the story but i think like tolkien being a rather well-informed philologist is kind of purposefully drawing on these you know what would later be defined like uh, by joseph campbell as these kind of recurrent elements well and there's stuff in that that's like i find oh i've always found fascinating like the relationship between angels and, and humans mm-hmm. in the bible that's always been something that's been deeply fascinating to me and it coming up again and being you can reference it in this too is just it just makes sense and it's pretty cool. But the other thing too is that yeah, there you can obviously draw a lot of like creation and uh, a lot of parallels between you know what we've seen in the Bible with um, Tolkien's creation story, but we also see like changing and evolution. Yeah. Uh, in in these stories too, which I think is really nice. All right, well, next week, I guess we'll do chapters three and four. Mm-hmm. And we'll continue and learning this, about uh, everything. And the Sigmarils or Simmarils Sim- <laughs> will pop up again. Okay. Uh, will those be important later? Okay. Silmar- Silmarils. Silmarils. Sil-, Sil-, Sil like silver. Sil? Uh, Maril, Maril. Like, like, like the Pokemon, Meryl. No. Uh, okay. <laughs> no, Sil, uh, Ma like... Ma- like your mama. <laughs> like, like Smegma. So, oh no. God, man! No, we're gonna Silma go. Rills. Yes. Silma Rills. Rills. Yes. Uh, that's honestly the only word I could think of that had the ma sound. No, are they money? Like, money? Are, money? Are, are, are they like radiated or something? Like they're like they like uranium the, the or Rills? You'll you'll find out. You'll find Estinium out. Estinium yeah. or something. We're, 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 we're going to hear. Element. <laughs> we're going to hear more and more about the Silmarils as we continue on our journey through the Silmarillion. Yes. This is what they use to power nuclear reactors in the future of this world. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, I'm John. I'm Katie. I still know quite what's happening, but I'm getting much better of an idea, so I'm Chase. <laughs> Bye. I sounded like a child when I said that. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Tolkien Talk. You can find more of our stuff at warpzonenetwork.com or on iTunes or on Stitcher Radio. You can also help support us by checking out our Patreon account. Now, next week, we will be reading chapters three and four. Now, in the meantime, remember to toast the professor. <laughs>